Hey, uh, thanks for remaining standing. We're going to read from God's Word. We're continuing in our study of the book of Acts, uh, the series, Then What Happened? Wondering what happened after Easter? How did the church get started? Uh, Looking back to our roots in the early church, and we're going to cover a lot of Scripture. We're going to cover almost two chapters of Scripture today, so buckle up, okay? You ready? We're going to start with Acts chapter 3, verse 1. One day, Peter, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use my glasses. Okay. There we go. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth, this is, he can't walk, it's not about his clothing, okay, was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. And then Peter said, look at us. And so the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. And then Peter said, silver or gold, I do not have. But what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. And then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. And when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Lord, we thank you for your word. We just pray that you would open it up to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. So one thing that I think is really cool about this passage is how similar it seems to so many of the stories that we read and studied in the Gospels, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John tell stories of Jesus coming up on people who are in some kind of pain. And now you have, in subsequent days and Acts, Peter and John, who were disciples of Jesus, followers of Jesus, had spent time with Jesus. Now they come into a very similar situation. They're just walking about on their way into the temple where they would go every day to to worship God and, and to gather with other Christians. And they come on someone who has been lame, unable to walk since birth. The person's in their 40s and uh, has never been able to walk. And they come on that person. And just like with Jesus, the person asks them for one thing, and Jesus often answers with something else that's even better, and uh, they do that. And just like Jesus, they stop and have a very personal encounter with someone who people usually walk by. There's so many times where Jesus encounters somebody that other people are just walking by. They, They see them as beneath them. And so this person is physically beneath them, laying on the ground, calling up, not even making eye contact. And they stop and have a very personal encounter. It says specifically, it specifically notes eye contact. 
It's an interesting thing to actually take the time to note in the story. There's a lot of things that aren't said, but it specifically says they looked right at the man and then they asked the man to look right at them. Look at us. And it says the man looked right. There's a lot of attention given to this moment of eye contact. I see you. And it even has a moment of physical touch, just like Jesus would always touch people as he healed them. It just, they just look so much like Jesus. And then there's this incredible miracle. They say, hey, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have, I give you in the name of Jesus. So stand up and walk. And they take him by the hand and the guy stands up. And then uh, the gospel of Luke is written, or sorry, excuse me, um, the book of Acts is written by Luke, who also wrote the gospel of Luke. He's a medical doctor. And so you have a couple of uh, words here in the Greek that are actual medical terms that don't appear anywhere else in the Bible, but it's specifically describing healing happening and this ankle bone becoming strong and everything kind of clicking back into place. And, and then suddenly these, these, these ankles, the feet that failed him all his life are suddenly in place and strengthened. And the guy stands up. And what is the first thing that he does when he stands up? You know what it says he does? He jumps. He's like, he's never jumped before. I mean, can you imagine what that moment is? This guy has seen other people jump. He's probably seen kids jump and play. He's like, I wonder what that would be like. So the second, I mean, he doesn't even take time to like, well, why don't I just kind of go through some rounds of physical therapy and work up to it? No, he's like, whoa, let me see how high I can go. Well, I thought I could go a little higher, but I'll take it. You know, he's like amazed and he's, he's running around the temple and he's jumping and he's also praising God. The actions of the disciples have resulted in somebody praising God, Right? He wasn't praising God. He was begging, and I had some money. I need some money. I need some money. And now he's running around, and he's jumping, and he's, woo, I love God. He's praising. He's praising God after this encounter in which people treated him like how they saw Jesus treat people. Okay, so if you see somebody that you have seen laid out on the ground uh, his entire life, and these people know him. All the people in the temple, they've seen this guy every day for years and years and years. And all of a sudden, he's running around. He's like, woohoo, let's praise God. God is awesome. And he's praising God on these new angles that he has. It draws a crowd, right? Everyone comes running over to find out what has happened. Apparently, this wasn't a Pentecostal temple. People weren't used to jumping off the stage, okay? They, okay, I've been to churches like that. In Ghana, we did that a lot, okay? But this is a more of a Presbyterian type of temple, okay? <laughs> so you see somebody jumping, and you're like, whoa, and they all come running over, and they're like, what is going on? Let's see what happens next. Okay, verse 11. So all the people uh, were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened. And then in verse 11, it says, while the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and they came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When people saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness, we had made this man walk? 
The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. I'm going I'm to go on further. I'm going to make a note here. So everybody is shocked. Everybody's running wild, and they're, and they're in awe, and they're just, they cannot believe this act of God that just happened. And Peter is just totally chill. Okay? This reminds me, uh, my, my freshman year of high school, my parents finally allowed me to play football. Okay, I'd wanted to play my whole life, but, but they thought, oh, you're going to break your leg and your legs will be uneven. That's what they told me all through junior high, okay? Uh, somehow, I don't know. Um, but I finally get to play my freshman year in high school, and I get my dream of getting to play quarterback on this freshman team. And, uh, and pretty much what that means is that you just have this one move where you just turn around and just like this little sleight of hand move. We had like a trick, this one play where just, you just kind of can hand off to different people. It's like, called misdirection, and, and, and theoretically it's going to work, okay? And we practice this for weeks and weeks and weeks, and we get into our first game. And, uh, and we, you know, I do the thing where I'm like, okay, I'm going to hand to this guy, fake this guy, fake this guy, and I pretend like I haven't, roll out, and the defense gets confused, and, and, and we get positive yards. And then the next play, they get confused again, and we get a first down. And the next play, we go all the way down, and we get a touchdown. And you know what we did? Every single member of my team lost their minds and we ran down to the end zone and we dogpiled on the guy that did it and we're like, woo, yeah, we're like celebrating, throwing a party like we won the Super Bowl. Okay, a bunch of 14-year-olds just out of their brains celebrating and the referee should have thrown a flag on us for excessive celebration. But instead, he was laughing. And my coach was really mad. He was pissed. He came sprinting down the field and he goes, guys, guys, stop it, stop it, stop it. And the coach yelled at us. He goes, guys, when you get to the end zone, act like you've been there before. <laughs> okay? And I said to him, but coach, we haven't. This is our first time. We've never done this before. I never could play football because my legs would be uneven. But now, now we made it. We, can, we scored. And he goes, guys, just act like you've been there before. All right, we're like, oh, okay, right? That's what we learned. Something goes, well, you, you, you play it cool, like, okay, you know? And that's what's, what seems to me what Peter is doing this moment. The people are going nuts. They're like, this guy was on the ground for like 40 years. And now he's jumping and he's praising God. This is unbelievable, the power of God. We want to shout for joy. And Peter's totally chill. He's like, hey, why are you surprised? So why is Peter not freaking out? It's because he's been there before. He's literally watched this happen a bunch of times. He's been with Jesus and he sees the power of Jesus in people's lives to just transform them and heal them and drive out demons and all kinds of crazy stuff that he's seen happen. He's seen five loaves of bread and two fish from a little boy's lunch feed 5,000 people. Like he has seen miracles. So he's like, this is what Jesus does and he's not surprised because Jesus didn't just leave us forever. He sent his Holy Spirit. Did you not think this would keep happening? Why are you surprised? And then he goes on to explain this. Verse 13. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers has glorified his servants, Jesus. Now he's going he's gonna to hold him to task here. He says, you handed him over to be killed and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, 
but God raised him from the dead, and we are witnesses of this. By faith, you're gonna hear this refrain in the name of Jesus over and over again in this passage. By faith, in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you all can see. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that this Messiah would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. He's saying to people, this is, remember, this is the temple, right? This is where people got mad. This is where people conspired, particularly the people who led the temple, conspired to arrest and to kill Jesus, trying to silence Jesus and stop the people from coming to him. And he calls them out. He says, you guys did this. Some of you, you were part of trying to kill Jesus. But he says, even now you can turn around. The name of Jesus still has power to save. And you've just seen that demonstrated. Well, that power of Jesus could save you. And you could repent of your sins. Even you who killed Jesus would be welcomed into Jesus' family. It's not too late for you to turn around and repent in the name of Jesus. We keep hearing this phrase, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. When he saw the, the, the man on the ground, he said, silver or gold we don't have, but this I have. What I do have, I give you in the name of Jesus, stand and walk. And now he says again, in the name, in the name, in the name. What does that mean in the name of Jesus. The main thing that I want to try to share with you today, what does that mean to live in the name of Jesus? Let me give you a bunch of examples to try to flesh this out. First one comes from my own family life. Um, often what happens is I need a message uh, taken to one of my kids. Maybe one of my kids is in their room listening to music too loud and we need it turned down. Or maybe Joy tells me, hey, hey, Matt, could you gather the kids for dinner? And I'm too lazy to get off of the couch and do it myself. So what do I do? I think the dads in the room are going to relate to this. I look for the nearest kid. <laughs> right? And I say, hey, Abigail, could you please go tell Peter to turn down his music and come down for dinner? Okay. And she makes the same classic mistake over and over again. What does she do? She goes into the room, hey, Peter, turn down your music and come down for dinner. Does that go well? No, because then Peter's gonna feel obligated to remind her that she's not the boss of him. And he can't possibly obey that or he becomes her servant. So he will say no, and there's a big fight. He didn't listen, okay. So I've coached them over and over again. Okay, listen, here's what you're gonna do. Okay, you're gonna go in that room and the first words out of your mouth have to be, I have a message from dad. Dad says. If you don't say that, it's all going to blow up, okay? But you're going to be my emissary because I don't want to get off the couch and walk upstairs. All right? Okay. And if I need backup, what do I say? Mom says. Mom says that's a rule, so, right? 
that's sending someone in the name. I'm sending my kids in my name because if they go speak in their own name, it's all gonna, it's all gonna blow up. We see a lot of examples like that in the world around us. Think about the chief of staff of like a governor or a president makes a phone call. People pick up the phone, don't they? And they give that person the time of day and they listen to what they say, not because that person has power, but they represent somebody else. They're operating in the name of the governor or in the name of the president. We have a lot of examples of this in the Old Testament, operating in the name of the Lord. Two famous examples are Moses and David. David, okay, let me explore that with you for just a minute. In the book of Exodus, the people of God are enslaved in Egypt. God chooses Moses and sends him to Pharaoh to take on the most powerful king on the earth in the name of the king of heaven. And Moses is nervous. He's like, but who am I? Like, I, I'm, I'm slow of speech. I, I stutter. I, I ran away from them. Who am I to speak? He's like, tell them that the I am has sent you. You're going to speak in my name. And so this, this uh, one solitary, scared individual speaks bravely to Pharaoh because he's speaking not in the name of Moses, but the name of the Lord. Another example, you all know the story probably of David and Goliath. All right, Goliath is huge. He's like 10 feet tall. He's like huge muscles. He's, he's like a slightly bigger version of me, okay? <laughs> all right, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, uh, but he's got, he's got armor, you know, he's got, he's got a shield, he's got spears and javelins and, and a big old giant sword, and he is like the man, okay? And then, and then there's David, all right? And David's little, he's a shepherd, no armor, he's just got a few stones and a, and a sling. And uh, I don't know what the betting odds were that day on that fight, but if people, if soldiers are kind of putting down their wagers, I'm thinking not a whole lot of people were betting on David that day. But then what does David say when Goliath is taunting him. Do you remember this? He says, you come at me with spear and sword and javelin, but I come at you in the name of the Lord. That's his weapon, right? I don't have the sword or the javelin or the spear. I don't have any of that. But I come at you in the name of the Lord. So I am unafraid. Moses and David operating in the name of the Lord. Okay, what about you? What do you operate in? Are you living your life in your own name or in the name of Christ? Well, I don't know if you've really ever considered this, but you are invited to live your name, live your life in the name of Jesus. In fact, that's what you actually are doing if you are a Christian. You're no longer Abbot. You're Abbot the Christian. Or Janet. You're now Janet the Christian. Kathy the Christian. This is who you become. Brian the Christian. William, the Christian, Andorra, Christian. 
You bear the name of Jesus Christ to the world when you submit your life to Jesus Christ. You are a member of the kingdom. This is who you become. This is who you represent to people. And you can live your name, life in that name. What does that mean? Okay? It means the same thing as all the different examples. It means, it means David not worrying about the javelin or the sword or his armor. He's like, I'm standing in the name of Jesus. It means Moses not quaking before Pharaoh. I came in the name of the Lord. I'm not worried about the fact that I have less power in my own self than this person. I have greater power because the power of God is working within me. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's Peter and John not worrying. They have no money. They got no money to help this guy. They're not worried about that because they have the name of Jesus over and over again. It's living by the power of Jesus. It's living by the ways of Jesus. You notice the way that the disciples looked like Jesus when they stopped for someone everyone else was passing by, when they made eye contact, when they had a physical touch, when they cared about that person's physical needs. They're operating by the ways of Jesus. And when everyone started trying to worship them and praise them, they gave all the glory to Jesus. That's what it means to operate in the name. I'm an ambassador of Jesus in this world. That's what you're invited to be as a Christian. It's not about us anymore. Not about our power, our weakness. Not about our glory. Not about our own wisdom. It's all about Jesus. Amen? All right, let's keep on reading. Find out what happens next. Because once they keep talking about Jesus, the people who don't like Jesus get involved. The people who work upstairs in the big corner offices of the temple start walking downstairs and they get involved because they try to stop the name of Jesus and it really makes them mad that someone has come back in and keeps operating by that name. And so we're going to see these same people that took on Jesus take on the disciples. And I want, to, I want, to, I want you to see this because it's going to happen in your life. The more you operate in the name of Jesus, the more you claim the name of Jesus, the more opposition you are going to face. But that's okay. It's been like that from the beginning. Let's read in chapter 4, verse 1. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees, okay, these same, same guys, as the gospel stories that took on Jesus. The priest, the captain of the temple guard, and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. We don't have time to give you a trial now. Just throw you in jail to soften you up, Right? But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. At Pentecost, it was 3,000. Now it's 5,000. It keeps on growing every time they're brave. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Same familiar cast of people. Annas, the high priest, was there. And so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? What name did you say again when you miraculously healed this guy and changed his life forever? What name did you say? And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today 
for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed. They're like, seriously, we're on trial because we rescued this guy's legs. They say, okay, know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Kaflam! Okay, that's my own emphasis added. Okay? <laughs> Verse 12. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Now, this is the part that makes the name of Jesus so controversial. Nobody gets mad when we talk about how Jesus loved the least of these. People tend to affirm, say, well, that's great. Nobody gets mad when we say Jesus, you know, taught that we should turn the other cheek and love our enemies. They say, that's inspirational. But people tend to get mad when we say, Jesus is our only hope. He's the only way. He loves us. He's merciful, but he's the only way. There's no way without him. And it gets controversial. People want there to be a lot of ways. Who are you to tell me my way? The Sadducees, the Pharisees, they they, they all think we have a way. And he's like, I'm telling you, he's the only way. It's our only hope of forgiveness. We have sinned and we've messed up and we're never, ever, ever gonna figure it out on our own way. We're not gonna philosophize our way to heaven. We're not gonna earn our way to heaven. We messed up, but we are loved and because of the cross, because of Jesus dying for our sins, because of his embrace, because of his righteousness, we can be saved and it's our only shot. And when we say that, well, people tend to wanna push back on that, right? And it's been like that from the very beginning. They say there's no other name. There's no other name given to mankind by which we must be saved. Okay, so they doubled down, they tripled down. They're trying to just get them to stop saying the name and they just say, I can't stop. It's the only name. Verse 13. So then when all these rulers people, they say, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. I just want us to just think about uh, why their courage was so astonishing. Okay, they were unschooled, ordinary people. What are the, and the people that are putting them on trial are the very school. They are the, they are the elite. They are the, they are the powerful. They are sort of functioning as, as the Congress of the Jews, both in political and religious life. I've had one experience in my life of talking to a congressman. Anybody, anybody done that before? Uh, a few of you. Um, I was invited uh, by International Justice Mission to go and, and be part of a, a lobbying group of pastors to go speak to congressmen about uh, uh, the desire to fund uh, work against human trafficking. And uh, I flew 3,000 miles to the Washington, D.C. I got dressed up in my, in, in my only suit. Um, 
uh, and uh, went to a training where they trained us, okay, here's what to say, and we kind of read through the, the, the legislation, and, and we did some practice rounds, and got all ready to go, and then they, they put us on a little bus, and we're driving in, and on the way in, I started getting intimidated, okay, and I'm embarrassed to admit this, but we're going in, there's a pastor next to me from Hollywood Presbyterian, and he looks at me as we go by the Supreme Court, he goes, what are we doing here? Okay, we go in these hallways, all these nameplates of like famous, powerful people, just the architecture, and we're like, oh my gosh, getting more and more intimidated. Now, they told us to expect we're gonna be meeting with like a 21-year-old intern, so I'm like psyching myself up for that. I'm sitting in the waiting area of my congressman, and the intern doesn't come out. The congressman comes over. He's got a train, he's got this suit, this million-dollar polished smile, these train of like, aides and reporters like following him around and he walks right up to me he says oh hey good morning like welcome what are he shakes my hand what are you here to talk to me about now let's just think about this for a minute this has got to be the easiest possible uh opening for someone to share what they want to share okay the congressman walked up to me shook my hand said i'm so glad you came in please tell me i want to hear what you have to say i mean that doesn't happen that often Okay, uh, and I wish I could tell you that I said something good, all right? I wish I could tell you I nailed it, you know, I was brave, man. I, I, like, I like made a difference, but I did not. You know what I did? This is what I, this is what I said, basically, okay? I basically said, oh, um, <clears throat> um, I, uh, like, uh, <clears throat> uh, IJM, <clears throat> this bill. <laughs> I swear to you, that's what I said to the congressman. And he's like, oh. Okay, he shook Bill's hand. I don't know what Bill said. I'm just dying in shame. He's talking to this guy, Bill, and I'm just thinking like, I flew 3,000 miles. I bought a plane ticket. I put on a suit. I practiced. But I got intimidated. A little moment of somebody in a powerful position, I'm like, Bill. It was terrible. I was so ashamed. Like, what am I gonna go? I'm gonna go back and tell my church. Yeah, good thing you, you, know, good thing you sent me. Gave me the Sunday off, you know. Oh, so bad. Now, I eventually... I kind of recovered and kind of said something halfway intelligible later that made no impact. And then when I finally met with a 21-year-old intern, then I got brave, okay? I was like, yeah, you know? Oh, but I just think about that moment of just my first experience and like, oh, I, I, I melted, right? Okay, so, so Peter had a melty moment when Jesus was on trial, and he's like, I'm gonna die with you. Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna die with you. And he followed him there. And then a little servant girl said, hey, aren't you, uh, don't you know Jesus? No, I don't know the guy, right? I'm sure he was like, oh my gosh, I totally blew it, right? But he doesn't blow it this time. And it's so much more difficult this time. He's not just talking to one congressman or one servant girl in the, by, by the fire. He's talking to the whole Congress, and they're not saying, hey, uh, I'd love to hear what you have to say. They threw him in jail the night before to soften him up. And they're treating him as a hostile witness. He's on trial. He's like, hey. And they're, and they're at him. And he stands so bold. He tells the whole Congress. He stands on the name of Jesus. And it's amazing. And specifically, they note his courage. Oh, my gosh. They note his courage. Back to, this is chapter 4, verse 13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. How do unschooled, ordinary people make such a courageous stand? Oh, well, 
They've hung out with Jesus. People who hang out with Jesus tend to start acting like this. We've noticed this before, right? Oh, is the effect that Jesus has on people. But then this is great in verse 14. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there's nothing they could say. Apparently, the jumping guy, remember the jumping guy? Who's like, woo, woo. Apparently, he showed up the next day to the trial. And they weren't counting on that, right? He came back the next day and he's still like, and he's still holding on him. Hey, I'm the guy. Look at at my legs. I'm the guy. And they're sitting there in the name of Jesus and they're wanting to punish them and scare them. But then this guy's like just smiling all big like, so they can't say anything. They're like, what are we going to say? The guy's right there. And so they're like, all right, we can't do anything. So let's just, so, so they confer. Verse 15. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they've performed a notable sign. We can't deny it. They want to deny it, but they can't. Verse 17. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them, what? To speak no longer in this name. If we can just get them to stop saying the word Jesus. So they're like, all right, let's go with the plan. Verse 18, they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in in God's eyes to listen to you or to him. You be the judges. But as for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Now they're feeling unsatisfied, so they try again. Verse 21, after further threats, they let them go. They just could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. They just couldn't quite figure out how to stamp it out because the dude who was healed is just there and everyone's praising God. They're seeing the effect. And when we stand bravely on the name of Jesus and we act like Jesus so that we're a blessing to the people around us and, and, and the effect that we have on the people around us is the effect that Jesus had and they're, and they're praising God and, they're, and their people are lifted up of, out of whatever status they're in, that it's hard to suppress the name of Jesus But sometimes as Christians, we make it easy because sometimes we act like a bunch of jerks, don't we? You know what makes it easy to suppress the name of Jesus is when we, who bear the name of Jesus, act like a bunch of jerks. Can we all just agree to stop doing that? (laughs) Who wants to just raise your right hand? Okay, raise your right hand with me, just if you want. Okay, repeat after me. I, who am a Christian... Do solemnly promise to not be a jerk, but instead to show the love of Jesus to everyone that I meet and to live into the power of Jesus by the ways of Jesus for the glory of Jesus that people may praise God and know him and glorify him forever. Amen. Okay, you're now, okay, you're now sworn in. You're sworn in, you're deputies, you're ambassadors of the king. You're gonna operate in the name of Jesus. Okay, just one last question I wanna ask. How the heck did Peter and John maintain such courage over and over again? How did they keep being brave? 
All right, and this last piece I want to show you is about their church because you're not going to succeed on your own, but you're going to succeed if you do it as a church. I want to show you what kind of church they were part of so that we can understand how were they consistently brave. This is pretty cool. Okay, so they're going back from their trial. They're like, where do they go? They go to their church and they find the other believers and here's what they do in verse 23. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people. They go back to their church and they report all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they raised their voice together in prayer. And what do they pray? What does this church pray? I just want to point out two things they pray. The first thing is they claim the sovereignty of God. Oh Lord, we were just maybe a little bit intimidated by these people that seem powerful, but you're bigger. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. And then they just go off naming the sovereignty of God. God, you're in control. You're bigger than the things which scare me. They name the sovereignty. They praise God. You're bigger than the thing I fear. And then this, then, 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 then I might think our natural tendency would be prayer two, to pray for safety. Don't we do that? Oh Lord, please change my circumstances to make me more safe and more comfortable. Don't we pray that like all the time? If I analyze my own prayer life, wow, that's actually not what this church prays. They pray something different. Okay, in verse, uh, let's look at verse 28. Uh, let's look at verse 29, verse 29. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your Holy, Spirit, uh, Holy Servant Jesus. And after they prayed, the place, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. They prayed for courage, not safety and comfort. Now here's the thing. I think when some of us are reading the story, we think the thing that's really on the line is will they be safe or not? Are these guys gonna get killed or not? Are these guys gonna have to suffer or not? We think the safety is what's online, but the church around Peter and John thought their courage is what is online. What's at stake? Oh God, I'm coming against something scary. Will I be brave or will I be a chicken? Oh Lord, sovereign Lord of the universe, make me brave. Church, I wanna invite you into being that kind of church. People around you just took this little pledge, this little promise. I wanna be an ambassador of Jesus. What's really at stake here is will we be bold and brave and represent the name of Jesus well in our world? And I think we can, but it's gonna take a church where all of us are praying for each other and supporting each other and rooting each other on. Can we be that kind of church? All right, let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you are awesome. We thank you that you are sovereign, your God, over everything. We thank you that you are bigger than everything we fear. We thank you that you gave your son and that, 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 you, that you suffer for us, oh God, that you, that you save us and forgive us, even we who undermine you. Oh God, we thank you. Make us brave. Make us loving. May we live in your name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
Uh, I want to invite you, any of you that would like prayer for any reason at all, anything that's going on in your life, we have a prayer team right up here, and you can just walk up to one of them and say, hey, here's the thing that's happening in my life or a loved one, and they will just pray for you passionately and hold anything you say in confidence. And so we just invite you to, uh, to, to, uh, to prayer. Invite you to fellowship afterwards. There's coffee uh, out on the patio, also in the coffee shop, and just, you're just invited to just fellowship uh, with uh, one another. Uh, before I give you the benediction, i just tell you one, one little thing. Um, the guy from IJM who was sort of my guide on the little lobby day in Congress, probably after seeing me choke the first time, we're going into the next door and he turned to me before I go in and he goes, I just want you to know that Jesus is already in that room. All right, we're just gonna go join him. He's like, oh, okay, all right. So I just want you to hear this blessing, this benediction, receive this as you go out. Everywhere you go, God's already been there. The sovereign Lord of the universe, the master of all things, the creator of the creation is already there before you even arrive. So we send you out as ambassadors of Jesus, changed and redeemed and loved by God, So go on out in his strength and by his ways and for his glory and in his name. Amen.